Hi, I'm Jason. And I'm Paul. And this is the Hi-Fi Sci-Fi Podcast. And uh, I'm excited. Today we're going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 1 of Deep Space Nine, Emissary. No, 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 <laughs> no, th- no, no, no. Wait, okay, are... Season 2, Episode 20 of Next Generation, The Emissary. The. You got to get that right. You got to get that in there. I watched the wrong episode. <laughs> Jean-Luc, Jordy Specs, mysteries on the holodecks, asteroids, triple droids, telepathic betazoids, transporter, deadly claw, visitor from L.A. law, photons, no Kirk, captain has gone berserk, shuttlecraft, console Troy, Dr. Crusher's little boy, Klingon rights, parasites, new heights, phaser fights, Data's head, Tasha's dead, Wyke is hanging by a thread, celebration, transformations, everyone to battle stations. Start the series. I, what all my notes? Oh my god! <laughs> Here's the sound of my notes tearing up. <laughs> I just—it's a lovely visual. And joining us for, we're pretty sure, an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, not to be confused with the pilot episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, even though they both have the same title and both feature Colin Mamini as uh, Chief O'Brien. Yes, it's true. Uh, and and Patrick Stewart. And Patrick Stewart. Yes, they're both uh, in that episode. No, we are, in fact, talking about the season two Star Trek The Next Generation episode, The Emissary. And our emissary uh, in the third spot uh, this week is none other than Jeremiah. Jeremiah, thanks for coming back on the show. Glad to be here. I watched both episodes just in case. (laughs) (laughs) You wanted to hedge your bets, yeah. I, you know, it's weird. I I started, like, doing some background research, and it, it sort of, like, completely slipped my mind that they just reused this title. And it's it's strange, because other than the things that we listed um there's really no similarities and there's really also no reason to call this episode the emissary isn't she an ambassador well they use those yeah they use those turns on and off and they just kind of go with whatever they're feeling like at the moment yeah yeah i also feel like they didn't want to you know give away too much with the title sure sure and the ambassador is kind of a silly title huh pretty stuffy Right. They could have called it, uh, you know, uh, Worf, uh, Worf gets busy. I mean, that's, cause that's basically, that's what you're calling, that's the red meat of this episode is. Uh, how, how Worf got his uh, forehead ridges back. Yeah, right, right, exactly. <laughs> they could have called it Klingons on Ice. <laughs> Ooh. Klingons on Photonic Light. Because that's where, because this is actually, I didn't even realize this. Wow. Okay, so uh, hold on. In In Star Trek lore, uh, in a lot of like the fandom and stuff, there's people who talk about holodecks and how they use the holodecks in Star Trek, and like how you'd really use a holodeck if it existed. And it basically devolves into gross sex stuff. This is as close as we ever get to that, right? I mean, they it's heavily implied that that uh, no, I mean that's actually that's where that happens. Like it is established. Yeah, yeah sure. So I have a. Oh yeah, no. Did they lock the doors? Yeah, can you lock the doors? Because sometimes it doesn't seem like you can. Right. I mean, also, Worf definitely just creeped in on her yes. without any warning, right? Right. And so I don't know what the rules are for that. Is it because it's his program that he felt like he could? Because that seems like not a good thing to do. Although yeah. people do that all the time, too, seemingly, where they're just like, oh, someone's running a program. I'll just wander in unannounced. That's how you catch ski fever. That is how you <laughs> Please go back and listen to our episode on ski fever, which uh, you know it's really our good. PSA on ski fever. Yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah, that's oh my god, I completely forgot. It's one about for the best fever. ofs. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I have a lot, <laughs> I have a lot of questions that I don't want to spend a lot of time with, but but they're largely janitorial in this regard, uh, in mm. terms of <laughs> you when you turn that off. What remains, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, well, even if somebody's working out and they're just sweating everywhere, yeah. I mean, where does that go? It's yeah. on the floor. Nobody, there's no space janitor. Yeah, so, I, mean, I mean, we've asked this a bunch that, like, when Data falls in the water in, in the pilot episode, should he walk out and still be wet? 
Well, this is like the opposite of that problem. Yeah, it's the opposite. (laughs) But like, can you bring in a cheeseburger and be eating it and then, yeah, leave it on the floor? Oh, my God. What happens? Wow. Okay. uh, This is I, I didn't intend for this episode to go this blue this quick. But what happens if someone were to use a, a, a toilet facility in, in a holodeck, <laughs> right? How's that managed, you know? Like, that's a... There's got to be a whole list of, like, rules, right? Like, if you've ever had the apartment complex with the pool and the no lifeguard on duty, and then there's a passive-aggressive list of just things that real jerk people have done because no one's around. If you around. have diarrhea, don't go in the pool. Yeah, like, there's got to be a list of that somewhere on the ship, too, right? Because, like, now that I think about it, that's a what a gross room that could be. Very quickly, I could swear there's been at least one episode of the extended Voyager DS9 somewhere where the holodeck is turned off and stuff falls. Hmm. I mm-hmm. think that's happened at least once. Okay. So yeah, I think. I mean, is I there? Think it's is it like yeah. a setting on your oven, right, where you put run the self clean cycle? Like, is that a thing you can do in the holodeck? <laughs> Well, I mean, you could use the teleporter, right? You could just, oh. just take the transporter. Early because they're, <laughs> they're, saying, they're saying that, that, that Other they're moving around light side. anyway. Yeah. So if somebody like leaves their hat in there, just be like, well, that hat's out in space now in a lot of tiny particles. <laughs> I like to think that a stationary starship, if if it's just in one place for too long, like say it's waiting for orders or something, just gets this gross cloud of funk like around it of just all the stuff that was beamed into space or ejected into space because they're like, ah, eh, whatever, standard procedure. Just uh, flush it into space. You know, it's fine. Like Empire Strikes Back style? Yeah. It's just a cloud of garbage that they got to like just dump all the time? Yep. Yep. That's uh, a lot of questions. On another, on another janitorial issue. Okay. All right. So <laughs> she, uh, this is something I wondered to myself during the episode, she clearly walks into her episode just angry which to her as an actress means shoulders up sure and she goes raw and then smashes her table yeah so this is yeah we're talking about you know again we're we're talking about the scene between Worf and kalar and now we're talking about kalar when she uh has a a tiff with Worf, walks back to her quarters smashes the table yeah and it's glass who cleans up that table yeah yeah. Do they have their you own? Just uh, transport it out into space, you know. I'm gonna make yeah. a uh, as contemporary a reference as I believe we've made on this show. Do they have their own noob noob who's around and and is pushing a mop around and has to, uh, you know, goddamn, and then just has to maybe clean that up. I don't know. Maybe. I, mean, I, I like to. They think... don't have those little robots that they have in Star Wars. Little little box droids that just roll around and clean up everything. That's what those yeah. are for, I think right? That's what that's, I was thinking that's of. That's what they do. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I'm thinking of another instance of this, but yeah, they're all the same idea, right? I think, oh, so. Yeah. I think so. So this is not an episode about the holodeck, primarily. <laughs> no, or about uh, tables. <laughs> I really kind of forgot about that table. And the she, poker table. She was mad. Yeah. This is an episode that starts with, um, you've got a lot of it really starts with good. starts poker. Yeah, you've got a lot of really good Trek stuff here. It's really kind of coming back to that whole um, mm-hmm. officers playing over a game of poker thing, which I think is a really nice thing that I had forgotten they started this early, but I think it's... Uh, one of the notes from season one that I think they started getting in season two was we need these people to be, you know, people uh, and they can't just be. It does s- seem like they would want to hang out with each other off duty, right? Right. They right. can't just be stuffy shirts like in a in a bridge all the time. And so we get that mm-hmm. kind of nice poker scene, uh, especially I, I like the data isms, you know, there where he's like, you know, I I will bend. You know, you mean fold. Like, yeah. They're the same thing. Right. So, you know. Uh, I thought that was thought that was cute. Oh yeah, uh, um, and, and it really does tie in well with the rest of the episode. Like that, that's there for a real reason. Sometimes you feel like poker is just there, sort of like we need a humanizing moment. But this, like the the wharf being wharf in that scene, sort of ties very well into the rest of the episode. Well, so much so that they even call him, you know, the Iceman, right? And then they make a <laughs> deliberate callback to that much later in the episode when, when Worf, you know, starts to melt, literally. You know, right. Like, not right. Yeah, my, my Klingon's an ice joke had, it was like triple, three-pronged. <laughs> but um, they also say, he says as he leaves the room, Klingons do not bluff, right? Which right. which mm-hmm. the whole end of this episode is, is ostensibly a bluff, but mm-hmm. right. uh, perhaps not. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they... They likely would just kill all those Klingons if if the bluff didn't work, right? Mm-hmm. Which yeah. I guess doesn't make it a bluff, right? Well, I mean, right. yeah, yeah, true. It's a bluff, <laughs> sort of, but the, yeah, not really. Yeah, um, bluff as long as it works. Also, uh, 
how horrifying would it be to have uh, someone who's above you uh, in your job be like, uh, look, so for several hours, you need to be in a metal case uh, that is only as big as just slightly larger than your body. Uh, it's fine, though, because you can totally breathe. We're going to put a thing in there that can make some air for you. And relax, because we're going to fire you off at warp speed uh, through the cosmos, and this ship will come pick you up. I thought that was um, really good writing. Yeah. I, I'm going to step out and say it. That, like, first off, like it it is so Klingon, right? It's, it's something that, like, if you pitch that to a human, they'd be like, can't we do something else? And they <laughs> would come up with something else. Right. Like, Klingon, it would just be like, yes, I'm going in that tube, like... Mm-hmm. Yes, let's do this. Uh, and then the second part of this is that it, for the f- maybe the best so far, sets a such a ticking clock that that time is so important that six hours is so important that somebody's willing to get in a tube and get fired at warp speed. Right. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, and what I like to think about is, you know, the the second viewing of this episode when uh, I watched that scene again, and then um, you know she gets out of the probe because they have the whole like. You know, they they match speeds, then they lock the tractor beam on, and then they, you know, beam it aboard the ship. And I thought that was a very cool sequence. Mm -hmm. Um, And then she just pops the helmet off, the breather mask, and she's like, greetings. I I greet you. I am Kalar. You know, and she's like so, uh, so assertive and so comfortable with it that I almost like the second viewing, I'm like, God, maybe she even proposed this, right? Like I could see sure, her, like sure. the way that her character right. is, um, you know, I could see her in a room of stuffy, you know, Starfleet personnel being like, well, you know, they'll be here in six hours. She's like, we don't have that much time. Put me in this and they will catch me on the way. Right. Um, and and I, I think whenever you've got writing that matches the way a character kind of fleshes out and, and has you kind of ask those questions about the background that are good questions, I think that's, the episode's clearly gelling and um, oh, absolutely i want to take a moment like before we get into it and talk about specifics to just say like i personally like Susie plaxon as kalar like uh really impressed and kind of i mean she does come back but only once um and i kind of wish that there were more episodes with her yeah 100 percent um mm-hmm. i mean you know, not to get into spoilers, but I think that she, her next appearance is also a very important, excellent appearance too. Oh yeah, yeah. right. So it's yeah. not like they bring her back for nothing. Yeah, they bring out the oh, big yeah, guns yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a long list of those characters that only show up twice though in TNG, right? right. Because there's all the one-offs, and then there's that group that show up twice, and then there's you know the cues, and and <laughs> go back to last episode, the Luxwana Troys, and right, yeah, right. There's the the recurring characters, but yeah, she's Actually, in that. That's kind about of it, right? No. Who else gets more than two? Um, I'm blanking right now. There's probably more. If you want to email probably us, probably uh, more. Paul well, I guess when you start getting into some of the Klingons, like like um, yeah, Duras. Uh, Duras. Yep. I'm trying to think the other one. Galron does. Yep. yep. Uh, okay. Okay. Know, that makes Kern me feel better. Probably makes more than two. Maybe. Th- well, he comes back in Deep Space Nine too. Okay. So yeah, there's 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 a few there. Yeah. Right. But um, you know, I. The other thing that I admire about this episode a lot is that um, other Next Generation episodes up to this point have made the mistake of focusing on the wrong thing. Um, And I think it would have been very easy in this episode to focus on the ship full of ancient murderous, well, not ancient, but 75-year-old murderous Klingons that are about to wake up, right? Because that is also a compelling plot point. Um, But it's not the most important thing in this episode. See, that's I, I disagree. I think it's actually, I mean, it's compelling in as much as they used it. Sure. But I think the it's one of those things where the more layers of the onion you pull that you mm-hmm. pull apart, it sort of stops making sense. Oh sure. Like I would have wanted yeah, yeah. I would have wanted one more piece of information and that is some reason why they went into cryosleep. Right? Yeah. Yeah. There was no explanation to that. I kept going well, wait a minute. Like they kept talking about a secret mission. I don't care about what that is because it was probably something boring. We don't need to know about. Sure. But the, why seventy-five years is like a long time. It's a very specific so, amount of time. Yeah. What yeah. is the end game there? What is the goal that they're trying to pull off? Because it's yeah, it, it is something. not apparent. There's there's no something. nothing easy to piece together. Yeah. So in seventy-five years, you'll all wake up. Most of the people you know will be dead. You'll be a generation <laughs> out of date, <laughs> both uh, you know technologically. politically and technologically. Your tech is going to be horrible. 
Yeah. And speaking of so, that, I really appreciated how the Enterprise was not worried about them at all. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like, mm-hmm. this is an old ship. Oh, they shot us. Whatever. It's fine. Yeah, yeah we can track them. It's fine. Yep. Yeah, we, you know, it's like, yes, of course. They're generations old. That makes a ton of sense. Yep. Yeah, because it's, it's, nice. it's legitimately, and um, this is actually a little bit of trivia, not only is the ship uh, appropriately, you know, since it's 75 years old, that's precisely the era of the original series. Um, it's also a model that was used in Star Trek the motion picture it's actually they reused footage from star trek the motion picture and right. then put some extra effects on it so i mean it's it's literally yeah. a cruiser from that era so they did a mm-hmm. nice nice oh, bit yeah. of fan service uh there well. I, I yeah to, to piggyback on jeremiah's point i i do this this is a great use of this and and i think it is it is dog people lizard people that that they're not the important part and um yeah they're they're, they're telling us not to focus on it but it also as much as they're saying it's super important that this person gets here and you start doing this stuff, then they say, well, now we just have to drive to the next part. So here's all this time to kill. Right. <laughs> so fill it, yeah. which yeah, is right. also great writing. Yeah. No, they, they, they make them sort of a, a, a sort of a cardboard cutout, but also a dangerous and immediate threat. Right. Yep. And so you yep. kind of go, all right, that they do almost everything you need them to do. It's no problem at all. Yep. And plus, I think relatively well acted as in the one scene that they're in. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, and I'm just saying too. I wasn't saying that I wanted to know more about like the Klingon ship. I was just saying that like past Star Trek episodes have made the mistake of going too far into that. Oh yeah. You know, I uh, big time. And and this one didn't, and it was super refreshing. Um, right. The the other thing that um, that strikes me about this episode is that um, you know you talked about we've talked about good writing a couple of times. The other thing that that really jumped out at me in terms of good writing is that um the good stories don't start at the beginning uh good stories start in progress right that uh that there's there's action that has happened prior that you can easily get caught up on because you want to get to the 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 interesting bits um i feel like kalar and Worf's relationship works because they have history and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we know about it but we've never seen it and that's fine because we don't have to you know we don't we, we can see that in the way that they respond to each other and their dialogue. It kind of comes out naturally. It's like, oh, they had a thing, um, which I feel like makes this a much more efficient episode because so many, specifically Star Trek episodes, do this where two people just meet and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden they're falling in love. It happens to Deanna Troy like every time she goes to a different At least planet. once a season. Yeah. At least once yeah. a season. Yeah. yeah. And, it's and just, it, it just happened to Riker on Up the Long Ladder. Yep. Um, yep. Where where it's like all you need is about fifteen minutes, right? <laughs> and then and suddenly you spend they're that head time. over heels. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Even a really good episode, um, which is I'm I'm trying to remember the actual the one name with the candles. It. Yeah, that's a great. Oh my god, the ghost candles. Oh Jesus. No, um, I'm thinking of the episode with the Janai, which are the race of uh, oh of, yeah of. Uh, of non-gendered people who uh yeah you know it was it was a great episode but th- i feel like that one fell into the trap too where it's like Riker literally just met this person and all of a sudden he is willing to throw yeah. everything in his right. career out for for this person yeah. i feel like this this relationship just works so well because it's like they you know it heated up a while ago here they are again and they're they're falling into old patterns and and michael dorn gets a lot to work with here and he just kind of knocks it out of the park too like I feel yeah. like they're both good, and then you put them together, and it's like one of the few relationships I remember in Star Trek where I'm like, I see this as credible. Like, there's chemistry between these two. They are clearly, like, working this. I mean, okay, a couple things. First off, give me Dax over What's-Her-Face any day. All right. Well, true, yeah. Second off, <laughs> I, I love this relationship and Doran's performance. I mean, hers also I like it a lot, but not as much as Michael Doran's. But it's because it's clearly deep passionate and complicated like i like the complicated and it's also alien like it's also it's got a lot of weirdness to it that's the klingon and the klingonness of it feels genuine yeah because it's written relatively well and i think michael dorn especially does a really good job of sort of playing and acting into what would you know i'm I'm gonna say genuine and klingon emotions but you know you know what i mean right right it feels natural right and that's not easy and I like the I like the pairing of them, and I think it was a very smart choice to make Kalar half human, 
um, mm. as well as half Klingon, because Worf up to this point, you know, has been uh, largely a man of, of two worlds, right? That he is, they've really hit that pretty hard, that he's, you know, he wants to be a Klingon warrior, and he, he you know, is obviously very respectful of his people's traditions, and, you know, they're not really religious, because you can't really call it, but, the, you know, they're spiritual people, they're not religious people. Right. Um, but he was raised on a farm colony by, uh, you know, a couple of human parents. Um, so he's got he's got all that baggage. And what I find fascinating about Kalar is she's a really good, you know, yin to his yang because where Worf has chosen to basically just be Klingon and he wants everyone to know how Klingon he is and he lives a Klingon life. Um, you know, she's kind of done the opposite, right? Where she sort of hates her Klingon half. You know, she has conversations in this episode about her temper and how, you know, she feels like she got all the worst bits. Um, mm. and, and I feel like, though, you know, opposites attract. Uh, and I feel like those two opposites, there's all that commonality with them, but they sort of, you know, their relationship is really dynamic and fun to watch because they're kind of opposite sides of the same coin. They're both people of two worlds. They've just kind of chosen to live in opposite sides of it, you know, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's it's interesting they got there in different ways. Yeah. Um, the sort of half-human um, by birth or by upbringing that, that is really sort of interesting here. That's a good point that um, you see later, right? You see that in Bolana Torres um, mm -hmm. when mm -hmm. you get to Voyager. Um, it's a good... Yeah, that's a good bit of writing for them this yeah. early in the series. Yeah, but you Though, also see Worf repeatedly in this episode say, you know, no, we shouldn't just kill them. <clears throat> Buying into the Picard thing of we must go for other options, we must be creative, and, and that's a key point in the episode, right? And then she's just even up to the very end is basically like, no, let's just murder these guys. It's fine. They're never gonna, you know, right? So there's he talks a big game about being proud Klingon and all that. But in the end, she's the one smashing the table and getting all grumpy, and she's right. the one just saying, "Let's just murder these guys." And you know. riding in a tube for yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> some people like that kind of thing. What do you know? Yeah. On the note of that tube, by the way, not to yeah. sidetrack too much. The yeah. one thing I noticed: wh where was the warp drive? That tube was tiny, and it yeah. was just like a plastic shell. And yeah. they're going warp nine somehow. I thought that was yeah. That... They could have glued like foam mats on the side or something. It would just shoot it really quick, you know. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. they yeah. That is a, a they thing. They just tossed it out the door when they were at warp nine. Yeah, right? yeah. Inertia works at you know faster than light speeds, right? <laughs> yeah, in, yeah, exactly. in the Star Trek universe, yeah, totally. Um, particularly in so much that uh, they've not. A, yeah, you think about that one, and then you put it up against all the other tech, and that that makes little to no sense. Yeah, agree. Right. <laughs> yeah. To to one one other one other thing on the um, half human half Klingon, it does produce one of what I think is the dumbest lines of this episode, which comes from Troy, um, which is I didn't think that there were half human half Klingons. <laughs> Or something along that. I'm paraphrasing, but she says something that's like, "Really? Like you're half human, half Bedazed, and you've never thought to think about like, do other races? Is everyone compatible in the universe? You've well, never stopped to think about this." And yeah. Yeah. humans and Bedazoid are at least morphologically similar, right? So I wouldn't. I'm not surprised to say, you know. Also, had there been any more? I think this is probably the first in the series. Half yeah. Klingon, half human, right? Sure, yep. sure. But I also, would think that out in man. the universe, there would have to be, and maybe this is I, this is writing in a pre-Wikipedia world, right? right. Because what I'm I, what I'm envisioning is that as a kid, you just go on a computer and be like, are there other groups that are half of one race and half of another? Sure. Um, and you can't because it's 1989, and there isn't that. I, I will uh, take your point future. that uh, yeah, I mean, I I took her question to be like, I didn't know they were compatible, meaning that like. Yeah. You know, obviously, there are such things as, as you know, in Star Trek interspecies, you know, uh, pairings, because obviously she she is a product of that. Um, but I still think it's a dumb thing to have a character ask another character, right? Sure. Like, that would be a thing that you'd, like, go back to your quarters and then, yeah, look up on Wikipedia like that. Well, if it's <laughs> if it's so unusual that uh, the She's trying to make small like, talk, right? Yeah. You know, if the doctor's confused, no matter how terrible she is. <laughs> yeah, you know it must I be forgot. uncommon. I think that that I liked it because it sort of reinforced how unusual that she was, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That they had a couple times people people who probably should have known if it was common were sort of surprised. It was you know so yeah. 
her otherness was sort of made apparent by that. I thought. Also, her comment of like not without a bit of help, much like my parents. Like, wait, like how much, how much uh, science wizardry did they have to do to actually complete that <laughs> pairing? Then, like that exactly. opens up a whole another like, you know, and that's just kind of thrown away. And I'm like, wait, 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 let's go back to that one for a second. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But then they just move right along, which is you know probably yeah. fine. But uh, so yeah, that conversation. It was uh, this episode ha- handily passed the Bechdel test. I was very pleased to see that. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a fair point. Wow. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, let's hear it for 1989, ladies and gentlemen. How yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so we get uh, we get the holodeck stuff, which we talked about before. I think what what works, you know, I, I feel like most of that stuff really really works. But I think, um, I think Worf just kind of awkwardly starting a Klingon marriage ceremony, like after. <laughs> after they're done like was it kind of you know uncomfortable and adorable and like you know i'm just like oh man he's going for it and like uh you know her reaction kind of tells you everything right like she's like whoa 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 no we're not we're not doing that and i thought you know even that was was super great because you know uh traditions dictate that we do this and she's like man your traditions i was just in this for casual sex so right. i'm out of here <laughs> well i mean it makes a lot more sense uh, it wasn't immediately obvious to me the first time i watched this episode obviously in a long time up until up at that point that scene how intense their relationship was off screen previously but getting to the end of the episode and thinking back on it it's like oh that's not just they got they they got down it was like oh there's like a lot of probably will they want they back in wherever they first met and you know it, right. adding all that together it's sort of you know it doesn't feel quite as out of the blue but it's still a sort of a naive wharf thing it's... right right well and that's um i think it, it's such a again an, another really good like insight into both of their characters right that he's like He's like, well, we have to do this, but really, how would he know other than all the stuff he's read? Yeah, you know. Yeah, I thought it, I thought the interesting part of this would be, um, is this wharf correctly or incorrectly interpreting Klingon culture? That like maybe a book says you do this, but a, a, an actual Klingon would say, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do, but right. you don't. Right. Um, is this just his his interpretation from outside, which then? gives you that question it's it's unclear if this is how other klingons would react in this situation yeah it strikes mm. me very much of like uh someone growing up in a in a very religious household where you know it's like well you you cannot have sex before marriage and that you know a lot of people who are are religious and a lot of people who aren't are like you know in our culture right. so i have to wonder if that's yeah that's it's also wharf is is doesn't have a lot of experience. He's probably just got a lot of book learning about how Klingons do these things. Um, right. Well, I think the awkwardness, the awkwardness of that scene, really, it could be sort of a weird scene in the episode on its own. But I think the payoff of their final conversation, given that scene, I think makes it all come together. Right. If yeah. it, it had been the last scene had been written worse, or if it hadn't been there, or something like that. You know where they really sort of say what was going on during that scene, and you know underneath mm-hmm. that scene, it, it it's sort of awkward and it's sort of weird and it's sort of. Uh, but I think given the whole episode, that's one of the reasons I love this episode. Is you know a lot of stuff sort of comes back and pays off, and it actually feels very satisfying for these characters. You know, I uh, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I, I also. Um... In that scene right before they wharf, you know, kind of awkwardly begins his, will you marry me in Klingon, <laughs> which is apparently uh, Tihong Ji. Uh, for those I mean, if you he heard you say that, he'd probably rip your spine out, but all right. Yep. <laughs> um, actually, wow, apparently it's Klingonese for I am a Klingon, I guess, uh, which is, I guess, mm-hmm. the first part of I love you, let's get married uh, in Klingon. But he, um, the the exchange that they have um where you know right post coitus and apparently they've completely redressed which is you know what you do i guess on the whole except her shoulder pads except your shoulder pads <laughs> um you know she starts making some little jokes or whatever and his reaction to that is such an insightful character bit that you watch that carries forward for the rest of of Worf's uh tenure in in star trek he's got a long run in trek his reaction to people who try to laugh stuff off um 
is such a really strong character note that I don't think I had really appreciated as much before this episode. And and I feel like his response to her basically being like, you don't like people who are funny, do you? Is such a genuine thing from a character who very, he's very stoic. He very rarely lets his shields down, so to speak. Pardon the pun. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody gets one. Everybody gets one. Um, <laughs> everybody gets one pun. But I feel like him basically just coming out with it and saying like, you know, I think, I feel like people use humor as, as a shield, you know, to, to deflect things. Like, it's such a strong character note. It will come up again and again and again and again in this series in Deep Space Nine. I mean, Guinan has conversations with him about how Klingons laugh uh, in episodes later, you know, because he'll, he'll right. try to tell people Klingons do not laugh. And she's like, Klingons laugh all the time, dude. Like, it's you. Um, right. I feel like that's I picked that out again the second time because I'm like, God, that's such a good like like character note that that's just it's there and it's consistent and that's it's such a piece of who he is from a character we very rarely get to see more than who he wants people to see you know and it comes back to what we talked about at the very beginning that these people they want to write them as relatable humans and i think that moment especially but more broadly sort of honestly a lot of performances in this episode i mean it's they're relatable people you sort of understand where they're coming from you know what I mean? It's you sort of can really empathize, even though we're not Klingons. You know, you can really sort of empathize and understand and sort of feel for these characters. It's it's just very solid writing. Yeah, yeah. I'd also like to point out too. There's another. There's a. There's the. I don't know if it's the birth of a trope, but it's. I'll. I'll I'm trying to think if there's one before this, but it begins a long line of uh, of Worf being uncomfortable with Klingons to Captain Picard. Right, like where he tries to weasel out of an assignment Ooh, yeah, with yeah, a Klingon, yeah. you know, yeah. and every time Picard's response is almost exactly the same. Like so, in this one, he's like, uh, you know, I, could someone else be assigned? You know, Data or Commander Riker. You know, do you have personal reasons for this? Yes. Any professional ones? Uh, no. <laughs> and then he just like looks at him and he's like, I retract my request. Like, there, there's a deliberate callback to that in uh, at least one other episode I can think right. of. Um, but but it's like I was like God that's that's another one right there where it's like Worf is just as much as he wants to be the Klingon when he's around other Klingons that he's got history with or things that are uncomfortable sometimes he's like yeah I don't know I don't know about this yeah. right which I thought right. was was kind of fun so well let's uh, I don't know if I have too much else other than like if we talk more towards the resolution of this do we want to get to anything else before we talk about how this thing kind of resolves with uh the ship and the so uh, i mean it, it kind of goes to that point that that looking at this episode um maybe one of the things i, I guess i won't say it's bad uh, it might actually be good um this episode is is kind of um just hitting on one or two things right and it, that probably is a good thing for this but yeah. um once you start to dig into it there's not that much to talk to um because there's only a few things that really happen and they're all really focused on on Worf. Yeah, um, all the stuff that's on the side is really kept on the side and really, really sidelined. We're not fighting with a B plot here that is really silly and kind of dumb and just eating screen time. Uh, we get the time we need for this plot, and yeah, it works. It works well. Yeah, I think to that point, one of the things I really liked about this episode is you get to see the sort of you know, uh, not space military, but you get to see, you know, officers talking tactically like, well, if we do with it this way, they might react this way, but they'll do this. You know, what if we take this? So it's not going to work, you know, and the whole capturing the, the probe with the tractor beam, you know, you get to see them navigating the ship and the whole chasing, chasing uh, the Klingon ship at the end. Oh, they're doing this. So of course let's do this. You know, it feels like, a very genuine and interesting um, just sort of Star Trek this is a spaceship doing spaceship things episode you know yeah. sometimes that stuff is so sort of doesn't make sense if you think about it too hard but I mean that's honestly sort of my benchmark for anything when it comes to movies or TV is if I think about it another 10 seconds does it start to fall apart right, right. and right. this episode it all just really hangs together pretty solidly mm-hmm. I mean, the one thing that I would, like I said, I would like would be why did they go into cryosleep? sleep? But like, yeah. what their mission is and stuff like that doesn't matter. So who cares, right? Right. Yeah, and it's right. also it's good because they don't have to worry about techno babble, right? They don't have to like grab the warp cores together that. to solve this yep. because yep. It, it's old generation tech. They need a tractor beam, 
then right. they then they need diplomacy, uh, and that is a um, yeah. In a lot of ways, that's more fun to watch than saying mm-hmm. all this techno babble. Just good well, writing. Yeah, and I feel like that's um, that's a trap that that next generation falls into often, where they rely on. You know, we have to tech the tech so we can techity tech tech. You know, and this one is just mm-hmm. like there's a thing we got to catch it, get her on, so we can go catch up with this ship full of bad dudes before they wake yep, up yep. and do bad gotta, stuff. Uh, got to invert those plasma conduits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And this what one, we got to like, do. Yeah. The go you know the I, I take your point, uh, Jeremiah, about like you know this is a ship full of people doing spaceship stuff, but it's also uh, I think in doing that it becomes a ship full of people underlined, uh, and that's what makes this interesting is that you know there's not a lot of like plot minutia to pick over because it's actors acting. Uh, telling a story, you know, right? And this is a story about right. two people and how they feel about each other and how, you know, quite honestly, stuff's pretty complicated. And, mm-hmm. and um, you know, they also have to work together. And I feel like that's, that is such a Star Trek thing, right? Like that there's, that there's the human equation here and there's the sci-fi equation here and they both have to kind of come together. Um, right. And I feel like that, that makes this a, a, a big one. Yeah, this, make, this makes it a really just great episode to watch like the runtime on this episode just melts away oh um, yeah and i was like oh it's over already like and not in a like bad way but in a oh my god wow like i was just watching oh, yeah. that all the way through and i, yeah. I didn't want to do anything else you know we've and, had some recent mm-hmm. ones that are the opposite right where you're just checking the time you're like how much of this thing is left like, i think <laughs> oh man what, what was the one that i was talking about that i want to say it was um up the long ladder but yeah yeah, you probably at it. was that like yeah, I was like, man, this episode's been going on for like an hour and a half. Like it's <laughs> right. Is this a two part of the Netflix stuck together or something? And, it's still yeah. twenty minutes. And I'm like, minutes. oh, it's only twenty minutes in. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I mean the end of the episode as well, right, with the you know, they dress up as the Klingons to uh, fool them and that's the thing it's not even really that clever or that like tricky because they don't say oh we're a Klingon ship and I took over and you know they don't spin some elaborate thing it's just this is the thing they're going to do and Worf does a good job at it and it works and you know it's 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 r- writing relying not on too many weird tricky clever things and just sort of good characters sort of doing what they would and doing it well Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and and uh, giving Worf a chance to show that, despite you know some of the things we've talked about, and like, does he really understand Klingons? Like in this case, <laughs> yeah, he kind of does. Like he's like, then, you know, you just got to show up and talk to him like Klingons, man. Like, then just, die ignorant. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty good. It, I also like the fact that this um, this by all rights is is maybe Plan C, uh, that they they outline a lot of things that could happen. And then that plan starts to unravel, right? They, they talk about, well, we could get there before they wake up, and that's going to be great. Just problem solved, or we could get there, and this could happen, or that could happen. Uh, and then, you know, things go wrong. They cloak, and it's like, well, okay, they're not a science vessel. They're not asleep. They're not all these other things. So we're going to have to move down the list of plans and get to this one where we dress up and threaten them. Mm-hmm. Which was not was not Plan A. This was not just a this then that episode. Yeah, right. And this is Worf literally kind of like you know throwing a hail mary at this point, where it's like, Captain, I guess I got I got one. Like, pff, let's try. It. Yep, yep. Right. And, uh, it works. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, I would be well, remiss at this point to not point out a couple of nitpicks towards the end that I noticed. Um, and it's not even necessarily criticisms, but it's two things that I was like. Wait, what the hell's going on? Uh, one of them was uh, I was taking notes and doing a couple of other things. So, like, I guess if you're probably watching it pretty closely, maybe it, it's not as abrupt. But, like, I don't know if you guys noticed this. There's the scene where you know, right before they catch up with uh, the ship, um, right after uh, Worf and Kalar have done the business and then left and had their awkward conversation, uh, Worf brings Data as a chaperone, which I thought was adorable. <laughs> Um, right, and they have that scene in whatever that lab is where they're working out a plan again, quote unquote. Right, right. in the middle of Kalar's sentence, they smash cut to the conference room, and for a second, because that was so abrupt, I was like, "Whoa, wait, where are we? Like, what oh, just happened?" Oh, I love happened? that. Um, I love that. Yeah, yeah. No, it was. It just cuts out so much dialogue. 
Yeah, because you you would you know sometimes in a lesser episode you'd have uh, you know episode uh, a character walking out and then walking back in or something, but no, I right. mean it was um, it caught me because I don't think you see a lot of that in Star Trek. Um, it's a very modern technique, uh, really. Um, so that one kind of that one kind of stuck out at me. The one that I think is more of a continuity error is so right after you smash cut into that conference room, um, they're all at the table. They're all talking about basically the things that we just laid out, right? Where it's like, this is plan A, this is plan B. They haven't come up with Worf's plan C yet. Then they their meeting gets interrupted because they catch up with the ship, right? My, my big problem is Jordy was in that room. They leave, go to the bridge. Oh, Jordy's yeah. not there. Then he comes out of a turbo lift and then says, transferring engineering to bridge. And I'm like, did you go mm. down to engineering and then talk to them first? Like, why... Why would he just come he came in from room? the other side, right? He did. He came out of the turbo lift on the other side. Like the conference room is on the the stage right side of the uh, of the bridge, and the turbo lift is on the stage left. So you know, audience reversed, obviously. Um, I mean, it's the twenty fourth century, but man, you still got to go to the bathroom sometimes. I guess did you just go to the can <laughs> or something? But I was yeah. like, yeah, I, that one just that one rattled me a bit because I was like, wait, Jordy was just here. <laughs> <laughs> and then I scanned yeah. back and I was like, okay, he never came out of the conference room into the bridge. So he left the conference room and then got in the elevator. <laughs> and then, right. okay, I guess. Like that yeah. one just gave me a chuckle, I guess. But it's the only, that's so nitpicky. The only thing that I thought was sort of an unanswered question that I really felt needed to get answered or something they just assumed that if you don't think about it too hard, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. So this is a ship of Klingons from 75 years in the past that they make out to be mindless human hating whatever whatever that give up and they're like all right we'll lower the shields and then it's like all right hey you half klingon go hang out with them for three days it's right. cool yeah like what wait what are they just gonna be cool with that like yeah and that raises the question of how common are half human half klingons and how obviously not fully klingon is she because i don't know about you guys but i don't remember a wider klingon like well, she was. She's mm. also got real purdy teeth, right? Like that's one of the that's things true. that I think they did to like make her more human. Like, yeah, I it, it's it's strange. Like she's less like makeup wise. Like I feel like they, you know, uh, you look at like Belana Torres in uh, in mm. Star Trek Voyager. She's very clearly like human accentuated, right? Like she's supposed to be half human, half Klingon. Right. Uh, yeah. How well would Kalar pass as fully Klingon on a ship full of? of you know r- real human hate and clingouts that's that's a and good then, question are they going to be cool with that like yeah, yeah. Hmm. let's yeah i i had that same thought when she beamed over i was like yeah, yeah. are they leaving her in a potentially dangerous situation for three I days because like they literally just got off the phone with them <laughs> after they barely talked them into disarming like, right. okay bye hang up the phone and they're like all right go over there hang out with them for three days with no backup yeah. <laughs> like, right yeah that yeah. that I, I hear you there. Yeah, no. absolutely. No, um, I think the one thing I wanted to call out in this episode that I thought was very, very the time this was made, but I thought was very distracting both times I watched it, was the her outfits were so weird and so complicated all the time. And they changed constantly. Yeah. And she's going to go work out in like spandex with like, weird spiky rubber shoulder pads like okay (laughs) and it just every single time you see her she's in a different loud weird outfit yeah it was i I mean the the outfit people cleared a good time because that with the the people they were fighting in the holodeck the different bug monster and the skeletor (laughs) face and the whatever bebop and and rocksteady yeah exactly exactly yeah and krang or kokoros but very yeah. little of this episode screams. This was made in 1989. That is the part that might give it away a little bit. Yeah. You're, you're the spandex asking. also had shoulder pads underneath her giant <laughs> shoulder pads, by the way. Like Actually, after they bang and they're like talking without her shoulder pads, she clearly still has these giant shoulder pads in her outfit. So it raises the question of if she's replicating these clothes, because it doesn't seem like she brought a change of clothes no, good point. in the tube she was shot sure. her in. Yeah. Sure. That was in another tube. <laughs> they... <laughs> there was another tube right behind. Yeah, yeah. I'll get out by that. They just yeah. uh, they cut that for time. <laughs> it was not oh, as exciting. I, 
I I like that. Like, I mean, at the end, they clearly didn't have those Klingon outfits hanging around, right? I like the idea. That's that's where I like the Star Trek space magic, where it's like any other show it would be implausible to magically come up with these awesome outfits, but they can just be like, no, oh, I'm replicating. Don't worry about it. Yeah, right. We, yeah. we need it. It's fine. Yeah, she yeah. went to the it thing. She pushed a couple of buttons, them. and yeah. she was like, "Give me this, and give me this, and give me this." Yep. Yeah. She opened up the 1989 JCPenney catalog on the replicator. <laughs> yeah. Added a bunch of weird hardware from a silversmith shop, and then, you know, there you oh, go. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is not Game of Thrones wearing Ikea rugs. It's not quite that bad. <laughs> um, I guess the only other question that I, I, I haven't asked that I do like to ask um, our guest hosts um, is that, you know, Jerry, you're the only person here who has any semblance of a choice. Right, that Paul and I have gone through these, the good, the bad, and the ugly, because this is mm-hmm. our, this is our, you know, our extent, our continuing mission. Right. You're doing this to yourself, by the way. I'm just yeah, letting you know that. We are. We are. Yes. So, yeah. but you uh, got to a little bit more of a choice than than most folks. Is there anything that particularly drew you to this episode? Why did you pick this one out? Was it just left, or was it? I mean, did you have a strong reason for saying like, no, I want to talk about this episode? I mean, it, having. I chose this episode having not seen it in probably 15 years or more. Okay. Um, but when I went through the descriptions to sort of refresh my memory, I remembered not all, I remembered the character, right? The character of uh, Kalar? Man, Kalar. That name is yep. not easy to read. No. Kalar. And I remembered her, right? And I, she's in two episodes, and they're both real solid episodes and important episodes. Uh-huh. And I remember going, yeah, that was an interesting character. And I, I, I've always liked Worf heavy episodes. I'm not sure there's one in either series that I'm like, oh man, Worf didn't. That was a bad Worf episode. Hmm. Like, just Michael Dorn is such a good actor, and he really just gets that role. And yeah. they tend to write him well. I don't know somehow magically. Yeah. And so him, I thought, yeah, nice. Yep. Yep. And so now we have a new yeah. charge, Paul. We have to find a bad war. I'm episode. thinking, right? I'm thinking of a bunch, and I'm coming up with them, and I'm like, no, that was a good episode. That was yeah. a good episode. The yeah. um, the season seven episode where Worf is like jumping. Dimensions. Oh, the one where he falls in front of a uh, falls in love with a candle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no that that was that that was Beverly. Uh, <laughs> Beverly was in love with the candle. Um, oh, <laughs> no, the one with. The one with Worf hopping infinite uh, dimensions, like uh, Rick and Mortying across right. space time, like right. That one, well, I enjoy it, but that one might arguably be bad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, awesomely bad, I'll say. But but no, anyway, maybe, maybe you got me there. We're getting slightly off uh, off All mission right. here. That will uh, that will be sometime in the future. <laughs> yes, I guess we have arrived at the point where we should probably say. Uh, and I think I know where we're gonna go. We can make this one pretty quick. Is this our? Is this going on our watch list? Is this a? Is this a must watch for all Trekkies and wannabe Trekkies alike, or Trekkers if you prefer? Well, Jared, um, go ahead and go first. I think I think it's an absolute, no question. Just skip it entirely. It's the worst. No, it's it's you have to watch this episode <laughs> because for story reasons, for continuity reasons, I think you got to watch it. For the character development, it's fantastic. Just for pure quintessential, as good as you're going to get, in my opinion, in season two, that's for sure. Star Trekiness, both from the good the good writing, good characters, good acting, sort of interesting sci-fi, sort of interesting space technology. I think it's just it's just tremendous. I think this is what it's all about right here, personally. Nice, Paul. Yeah, there's too many. Um... <laughs> I was trying to think of a comparison. There's too many puzzle pieces that sort of fall out. Uh, I think the comparison is uh, a, a DuckTales episode where they talk about time travel. But um, <laughs> if you if you take this puzzle piece out, too many other ones start to fall apart. And I won't spoil where the, all these arcs go, but um, there's a lot of arcs that, that spawn from this, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Including Worf getting his own ship. Captain Worf! <laughs> Captain <Yeah>. Worf! <laughs> so good. I mean, it's no Icarus factor. I'll, uh, I'll tell you. <laughs> Sorry. My. I can't, my, my. I can't do that with a straight face. It's not up to the to the snuff of the Royale. It's no Times Squared. But it, no, this is um, this is <laughs> right up gonna there. going to name all the episodes? I mean, we'll keep going. Oh, man, there's so <laughs> many bad ones. There. So season two is a weird turning point, right? We are now... 
uh, we're two episodes away from the conclusion of season two. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's been less of a slog uh, than season one because there's just less episodes for one. <laughs> but also, um, you can see some real greatness here. Um, it's still mired in a lot of the season one garbage, and it's really like hit or miss. Like week to week, if I was watching this show, it would be tough to come off of an episode like, you know, The Royale. Um, it'd be like, where the hell's this show going? But then you get stuff like this, and then you get stuff like, um, you get stuff like, I mean, Elementary Dear Data. You get stuff like The Measure of a Man. Um, you get some, you know, Q Who in there. Um, and you start going, okay, I guess they are figuring this out. This is an episode where they get it right. And yeah, absolutely. There's so much in this episode that matters and will pay off that you would be doing yourself a disservice if you skip this one. Like everything that they talk about here at some point with with rare exceptions, except for the ship full of angry Klingons from 75 years ago, pretty much everything else, all the character stuff that matters, uh, we're going to see more of that. And it's going to keep getting better. I mean, it's already great. So watch it. Oh, man. I would have loved to follow up episodes about those Klingons. That'd be <laughs> awesome. Let's do a where. Well, it's like at? the it's like the se- season one finale, right? Where they have the humans that come out of cryogenic sleep. Oh wow! Oh. Yeah, absolutely. In yeah. fact, uh, I think "Welcome to the twenty fourth century" is a line they literally use in that episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, so. And Worf says that to the to the Klingons on the on yeah. the viewer. So you know, callback, yeah. I guess. Um, so there you go. That was uh, that was a lot of fun to talk about. Great episode to watch. And uh, Jer, thanks so much for uh, for joining us. Of course, anytime. Is there uh, anything on the internet or uh, anything that uh, you would like the people of the internet to particularly know about you or follow up with you about? A Twitter you would like to plug? A particular blog you like? Uh, something? Oh that, my! Anything you want to just throw out there as a? I mean, my standard out. answer is visit your local library, but I don't know. Not me personally. No, I'm good. And with that, read some books, kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Reading me. All right. Now with, now with the second ep- half of this episode, we could talk about the Deep Space Nine episode, Emissary, right? Oh, Absolutely. That's, Absolutely. I mean, we'll get there, but it's going to be a while. <laughs> uh, and until then, uh, I'm Jason. And I'm Paul. And the prophets foretold your arrival, Emissary. Oh, nope, nope. Wrong episode. Nope, nope. We'll, we'll see you next time. Bye.